1 Samuel 17, we're back in our series here in 1 Samuel, when a nation needs revival, let's stand in honor of God's Word as we look at 1 Samuel and 17, we'll pick up our reading here in verse number 12. We'll read a little bit leading up to that though. 1 Samuel 17, when a nation needs revival. <clears throat> so last time we were here in 1 Samuel, we considered when you're facing a formidable foe and like... Uh, Goliath stature type individual. That's what we were looking at. And my, what a massive man he was indeed. At what was it, nine, nine, something like that? Nine foot nine. I mean, that's, that's huge, you know, and, and uh, just uh, massive in his size, taunting in his speech. And he wasn't backing down. Well, he didn't have to, you know, the Israelites were standing up. So that's pretty much where it was. So verse one tells us, or sorry, verse three tells us that the Philistines stood on one side and Israel stood on the other side. So there's a face-off. I think today there's a face-off, don't you? And our culture and between right and wrong. I mean, that's been an age-old face-off, but we're, we're seeing it. Um, one side against another side. And, and so the battle lines are drawn. And then the text describes this massive man known as Goliath. I'd like to read verse eight. It says, and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, why are you come out to set the battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? I did a little um, meditating on that servants to Saul part. I'd like to come back to that in the, in the first part of the sermon here tonight. I believe, I, I believe that Goliath is identifying their main problem. So I'd like to think about that here just a little bit. <clears throat> That's the beauty of pastoring. You get to come back and finish the message two weeks later. <laughs> That's kind of how it is sometimes. So um, verse 10, the Philistines said, I defy. In fact, that word defy is used five times in the text. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul, notice this please, verse 11, when Saul and all Israel, what's the next word? Heard. Okay, so they heard those things. Those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Then the text just almost gently says this. Now, David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah. <laughs> now, does that strike you in any way? So here it is, this giant taunting. And then suddenly the text shifts to, now, David was there in Judah on the hillside. <laughs> While all this chaos is going on, there was a calmness back on the hillside of Judea because God was still in control. <laughs> Whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three son, eldest sons of Jesse went, at, went and followed Saul to battle, to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Verse 16 takes us back to the battlefield. It says, and the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. And Jesse said to David, his son, take now for thy brethren an ephah of parched corn and these 10 loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these 10 cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. And look how thy brother fare and take their pledge. 
Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Ephah, Elah rather, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and let the sheep, left the sheep rather with the keeper and took and went and as Jesse had commanded him and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name. <laughs> you see the way it introduces him? Uh, really builds him up, doesn't it? Uh, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words, notice this, and David heard them. So verse 11 tells us that Saul and all the men of Israel heard them. And now in verse number 23, it says David heard those same words. I want to submit to you tonight that the way that Saul and the Israelite army heard them was different than the way that David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. No taxes. <laughs> well, what worth it to anybody? Yeah, they just soon go on and keep paying rather than fight this giant Goliath. And David, verse 26 now, and David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? And taketh away the, notice what he says, the what? Reproach, the shame, the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I love that. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I'm telling you, the way he heard the giant was different than the way they heard the giant. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine. And the people answered him after this manner, saying, so shall it be done, the man that killeth him. All right, we're going to keep reading. I realize we're, we're covering a lot of territory here uh, tonight, but if we don't, we're never going to get this giant killed. So we've got to keep moving. It's a long chapter. Verse 28, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. So here's older brother. And he says, Why camest thou down hither? And why hast thou, and with whom rather hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? You hear that? I mean, that's just like an older brother. Who, who'd you leave the few little sheep with, Davy? <laughs> David? <laughs> I know thy pride. And the naughtiness, or the, the idea there, the word naughtiness means wickedness, the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mayest see the battle. And David said, what have I now done? <laughs> You get what he's saying right there? What is it now? <laughs> so evidently he and his older brother had a run in before. What, what is it now? What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Do I not have a reason to speak up about this? Is the idea of what he's saying? You expect me to be silent when all this is going on? That's a great phrase. You ever hear Mark Gray's song, Is There Not a Cause? It's a great song. He does a good job singing that. Is there not a cause? Well, he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. I'm sure glad David didn't stop talking about it. 
just because his older brother tried to shut him or uh, shut him down. <laughs> Thought I was going to say something else, right? <laughs> Get him to be quiet. The people answered him again after the former manner, and when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. Now we will stop our reading there, but not only does David have to overcome the discouraging words of Eliab, he's also going to have to overcome the doubt of Saul before he even faces the giant. Because there's a lot of discouragement and doubt that all of us have to overcome. And I'm thankful that God helps us on the battlefield. The title of the message tonight is this, Start with the Fact of the Living God. Start with the fact of the living God. If you'll start right there, everything else will fall into place. Start with the fact of the living God. All right, may God bless the reading of his word. I sure appreciate you standing for a good little while here tonight. <clears throat> Are you ever uh, bothered by what you, what you see and what you hear? You ever bothered by what you see and what you hear? I think given, given the state of things and what's going on around us, there are times we ought to be bothered by what we see and bothered by what we hear. Just today at uh, lunch, we had time of fellowship with the uh, Switzers and, and they, they were sharing just how things were when they left six years ago and how things are now. Can you imagine? I mean, it's not even like we've gotten used to it. I mean, it's, I, I told them, I said, listen, we, we've been here and, and it's, it's shocking to us having been here all this time, even still, you know, I mean, you, that illustration of the heating up the water, the frog, you know, I mean, that, that does play into it. We do kind of get used to things, sadly, sadly, right? But they mentioned, you know, they were, uh, I think in Walmart and just heard this person on their phone using profanity, like, uh, like you don't hear in South Africa. <laughs> um, this is Christian nation. <laughs> it ought to bother us. It ought to bother us, you know, the things that are going on in our, in our country, in our world. I mean, it ought to bother us. Uh, it ought to bother us what's going on. I mean, I, at the same token, we ought to understand, I mean, what, what do you expect lost people to do, right? Because they're lost. I mean, we, we understand that. So maybe even the greater concern is why aren't we doing anything about it? So what we see, what we hear ought to bother us. What you see, what you hear ought to bother you enough on what's on television that you ought to change the channel or turn it off, right? It ought to bother you. I, I hope you haven't got comfortable with the profanity and the violence and the, um, thank you, garbage. <laughs> yep. Got some help preaching tonight. Is that you, Brother Thrift? Thank you. That was right on. Good timing. I'm, I'm in, that's helpful. Be ready. Be ready. <laughs> Probably going to need some more help here, no doubt. Uh, yeah, just a lot of garbage. It ought to trouble us, the things that we see and what we hear. All right, so two weeks ago, you know, we, we were talking about that formidable foe and Goliath taunting and, and, and even mentioned, you know, just uh, the state of things in our nation regarding, you know, the LGBTQ plus and, and how that we're, in many ways, we're expected not only to tolerate, but also to celebrate. Um. Not this Wednesday, but most likely the next Wednesday here during what uh, many are referring to as Pride Month. I'd like to preach a message on applying transformational love to the transgender issue. Applying transformational love because, because God loves individuals that are struggling with same-sex attraction and, and, and homosexuality and transgenderism and so forth. He loves them so much that he wants to save them out of that. 
And so I'd like to preach a message on that. I preached it up at the campus and had an application there, and I'd like to make an application here to our church. But, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're expected not just to tolerate it, but to celebrate it. Hmm. So I, I mentioned, you know, two weeks ago, we were talking about that. So that was Sunday night. Monday morning was Memorial Day. Is that right? Memorial Day. May the 28th, what, I think that was the date. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, Trevor's driving, I'm in the passenger seat and, and we're on his way to work, dropping him off and then I'm gonna drive the truck on down here. I think it was, what it was. I don't know what I'm doing. I, no, I was off on Monday, so what was I doing? Anyways, he's going to work. It doesn't really matter. thing I'm getting at is as we were leaving our um, subdivision, there had, in a landscaped area, there was all these little flags, uh, United States flags, as I left on Sunday. But on Monday, all those American flags had been removed and rainbow flags had been put in, a bunch of them. And what I preached on Sunday night, God challenged me, I think, what are you going to do Monday morning? Is it Monday, Trevor? Is that about right? Yeah. What are you going to do Monday morning? You know, I, I think, folks, it's one thing for us to say amen and even preach in here. It's another thing when it's Monday and you got to take a stand either in your neighborhood or at your workplace. And we need to be right about it. I'll tell you what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to tell Trevor. In fact, it crossed my mind. Here, stop the truck. Let me go get those. Pull them all out. Because that ought not replace the American flag. Amen. amen? But then I thought, you know what I need to do is I, I, need to, I need to call. I need to call our president of our neighborhood association. So I thought, man, I don't know how this is going to go. What if that's his idea? Uh, I don't mind to tell you, I was a little bit nervous about calling. Thinking, oh man, how's this going to go? You know, I called him and, and he said, you're kidding me. Man, you can't have anything nice here in America anymore, can you? I thought, he said, it'll be taken care of by the end of the day. And it was, all those were removed. It was only just that one. So probably some young people or some, I don't know who it was, just re replaced those. I'm not sure, but here's, here's what I'm saying. What I saw bothered me. What we're seeing ought to bother us. We ought to take action. We ought to take appropriate action. I don't think we ought to be mean and hateful, but we ought, neither should we cower in fear. Okay. We ought, what we see and what we hear ought to cause us to, to take action, to do something about it, to speak up, to do something. You know, a lot of people take uh, action for a lot lesser causes. I mean, sometimes it doesn't take much for somebody to get involved in something. I watched some boys this past uh, Wednesday night. They had a little uh, cookout after, after church and they had had some ice, so they dumped all that ice out. Well, you know what happened. Those uh, seven-year-old boys started chunking that ice. It didn't take much for him to get involved in that cause. And to keep going, I saw one fly past us. I thought, oh man, it's on then. Come on. No, I didn't throw it back. But you know, you think about stuff like that. Had a mom stop us on the way out and, and she said, um, she said, I, I want to thank you for coming. And, and I tell you, the application I got from this is that as a mom, I'm not supposed to just be an example to my daughters regarding what kind of a woman that they ought to be when they grow up but I'm supposed to be an example to my sons as to what kind of woman they're supposed to marry when they grow up. She got it. She got it. 
But all that can seem overwhelming. I'm sure that as the children of Israel were out there on the battlefield and the giant is taunting them 40 straight days, I mean, they were overwhelmed. They heard the same thing. They saw the same thing. And yet they didn't, they didn't act on it like David was going to and would, but they were hearing the same thing and, 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 and seeing the same thing. So here, here's basically the question tonight. What's the difference? Why did, why did the children of Israel, including Saul, why did they hear and see the same things and yet not say anything or went cowering into, uh, into hiding? And why did David hear and say, see those same things? And yet he says, wait a minute, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What's the difference? What's the difference? Why, why did they see him as invincible and he saw them as, he saw him rather as, as inferior? Why did they see him as undefeatable or undefeatable or, or, you know, just such a massive man like that? Why would, why did they see him as undefeatable and why did he see him as uncircumcised? What's the difference? Let's consider that here tonight as we get into it. No doubt about it. Goliath was massive and he, and he's taunting them. Now I, I told you earlier that I wanted to come back to that thought. Ye the servants of Saul. Think about this here tonight, church. Uh, why did he refer to them as the servants of Saul? Well, that, that they were. But why was Saul their leader? Was because they wanted a king to be like all the other nations. Isn't that right? Remember that? I realize I'm taking us back nearly to the first part of our series right here. But that's what happened. They wanted a king to be like all the other nations. Listen, they wanted to fit in with all the other nations. They wanted to be just like them. They, they wanted a king that would lead them to battle against the Philistines. Saul, he's in the tent. The irony of this, right? But that's what they wanted. So is it safe to say, let me just make short work of this and ask you this question. Is it safe to say that the fact that they were the servants of Saul was a result of them being a servant of their own fleshly desires? It was, wasn't it? Their fleshly desires drove them to desire a king. So now here they are, watch this now, hang on, I'm going somewhere with it. Here they are facing this giant who was representative of the world system, of the flesh. Certainly uh, Saul was not walking in the spirit. That's easy to see. No, he's totally representing the world system. He's totally representing the flesh. So, so watch this. Israel had been indulging in their fleshly desires. And so when they came up against Goliath, they weren't ready to stand because they'd been a servant of the flesh. Because if you're living in the flesh, you're not ready to take on or take a stand against the flesh when it comes against you. So why is it then, is this making sense? Why is it then that the LGBTQ plus has made such inroads? Maybe it's because American typical Christianity has so long been indulging in sinful fleshly desires that when we're up against this foe, we don't, I'm saying we in a very broad stroke. You understand what I'm, why I'm using that, that pronoun? I'm just saying Christians by and large, now I realize there are many of you that do take a stand and that's what I wanna encourage here tonight, but I'm just trying to analyze how has that movement in particular, but we could also talk about alcohol and we could also talk about CBD and we could also talk about a lot of other things that are out there. How has it made such inroads in our nation? We're servants of Saul. 
Okay, let me, let me take it to a level of a little bit more application. If, if you are, as a parent, and you're trying to deal with your teens maybe watching inappropriate movies, you're not going to have much ground to stand on there, or you're not going to be as inclined to take a stand if you yourself have been watching inappropriate movies. Because they're going to say, hey, well, but wait a minute, who are you to say that I shouldn't watch that when you are? Does that make sense? See how that works? So here they were, the servants of Saul, not ready to stand against Goliath because they'd been serving their fleshly desires. They weren't ready to stand against the flesh of world system. I believe that plays into this in a major way, don't you? Can you see that? Can you see how that makes application in, in many, many ways? Okay, another example uh, comes, comes to my mind from my notes was, would be this. If, um, if, you're, if you're a young person, maybe uh, college age perhaps says, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to church on, on Sunday mornings anymore. Well, if you haven't been faithful in attending on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, then no wonder they're going to push you on Sunday mornings. Do you see how that is? That servant Saul not ready to face Goliath. So what I'm saying is your spiritual condition will be tested along your Christian life. Mm. Those who serve their flesh are in no position to take a stand when they're shouted down by a sinful source. All right, well, since that one was so popular, we'll move on to the rest of the messages here. David heard and saw things differently. Why? Well, we're going we're gonna to look at that. Uh, the text tells us that a lot about David's background. The thing that I'd want to point out is just this. David was simply obedient to his dad, and he took responsibility. You know, the, the Bible told us that Saul couldn't even find his father's donkeys. But David made sure that his father's sheep were taken care of. Um, you know, I believe God obviously was preparing David for something significant by the fact that he was taking care of the sheep. By the fact that he was saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to do what my dad said and go check on my brothers. And he went there to check on them. I think that I think that uh, that that was some training ground for David. He proved himself here in a small task because God was preparing him for a big task. So I want to ask you tonight before we move on, what's your task? You know, if, if you've been given a job, do that job well. Uh, if, if you are a Sunday school teacher or a helper, then do that job well. You never know how that how that those things are going to prepare you for what else God has for you to do. And even those, those little things that just seem so casual or just like a normal thing actually turn out to be a link in the chain of God's providential leadership in your life. Think about it. David ran down there to the, to the army and they had depleted their resources. I mean, 40 days, they're running, running out of food. And so his dad is sending them some roasted corn and, and, and the bread and also the cheese. And, and so um, he sends all that down there. David does that, not even realizing that it would be this event that would catapult him into the leadership of Israel. Do the little things well. Do the little things well. Well, do the basic things that God wants us to do. And that will prepare you for the other things. 
Some of you working a job right now and, and you're working in a warehouse and it's hot. I've been there. I worked at O'Reilly's for about uh, three years and loading trucks and, and working in the warehouse. Boy, I tell you what, there were days I did not want to be there. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's days like that for you. But you never know what will happen if you just show up for work. And God uses all those days. He uses all those days. I look back on it now, you know, and some of the jobs. I, I, don't, I don't need to bore you with my personal track of jobs and things. But, but I can look back now and I can see how God used that to help me here. And God used this to help me there. I, I had opportunity to, to be a tutor at, at uh, Baptist Bible College, and I didn't realize how that was going to prepare me to help students now. You know, you just don't see those things then. So whatever you're given to do right now, do it well. Do it well. Do it well. And watch what God does beyond that. He was simply obedient and he was responsible. He took care of his father's sheep, made sure that they were, they were taken care of. You know why? Because eventually God's going to use him as the shepherd of Israel to make sure that God's sheep are taken care of in the people of Israel. It's a beautiful account how that God did that and how he used David and prepared David along the way. Well, then the text tells us that David, as he showed up on the battlefield, that, um, that he heard this giant taunting and defying. The word defy there means this, to reproach, to blaspheme, to set at naught the strength of an enemy. To basically say, uh, you have no hope. You've got, you don't have a chance here. Uh, we might call it talking smack. That's exactly what was going on as this giant was taunting them defying the armies of Israel, as was mentioned five different times in the text. David came to the scene, and David had this, very important right here. David had a different view. In fact, he had a different, we might even say it this way, a different worldview. What is your worldview? Well, the worldview, your worldview is how you look at things. It's how you look at things. Um, in fact, I like how one man said it, Dale Davis, he said this, doesn't having a living God make a difference in all of this? Isn't that good? That, that kind of led to the title here tonight, you know, start with the living God. Let me ask you this question again that he asked, doesn't having a living God make a difference in all this? Think, think about the situation that you're facing. Think about the situation that we're facing. Doesn't having a living God make a difference in all this? I mean, it seems like, you know, wickedness has come in with the flood. Sure it has. But doesn't having a living God make a difference in all this? Yes, it does make a difference in all this. Man, I, I don't think we should be discouraged. I think actually we ought to be encouraged. You know, wait, we have a living God in the midst of all this. And yes, things look bad right now, but he's still God. And, and David came on the scene and he's saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that she, he should defy the armies of the living God? Hey, listen, David did not get in this battle because he was a young man looking for an adventure. He wasn't looking for the next fight. He, he wasn't involved in this just because of his youthfulness. You know, sometimes young men especially do things and think later. Some of their famous last words, hey, watch this. Especially of a redneck, right? You've heard that. 
Last, famous last words of a redneck, hey, watch this. Yeah. Okay, that, that wasn't David, though. He wasn't saying, hey, watch this. David wasn't in it for the fame. He wasn't in it, he wasn't in it to try to win the king's daughter. He wasn't in it for the gold. None of those things were motivating David. And even his own brother Eliab says, I know the wickedness of your heart. I, I know that you came just to see the battle. I know that, you, that, you, uh, uh, that you're here just to really get a piece of the action or see the action. I know your, your heart. I know your pride. That's what he says. You know, sometimes even people that are supposed to be helpful and encouraging to you can turn out to be discouraging. Uh, Alexander McLaren said this, standing for truth can even cause your family to disagree with you. He went on to say there will be awkward and uncomfortable moments along the way when we choose to do right. There's going to be those awkward moments. Have you had some of those? When you choose to do what's right and yet there's some awkward moments, uncomfortable moments with even family or friends. Then he asked just three questions. Do we forsake truth for the sake of acceptance? Do we forsake truth for others to be comfortable in their sin? Do we forsake truth so that we can fit in with everyone else? And obviously the, the answer to that is, is no. And so here's David and he's hearing and he's seeing, okay, he's, he's hearing the taunting, he's seeing the giant and that bothers him. But then also this, he sees the army of Israel fleeing and that bothers him. Okay, so what he heard and what he saw bothered him. Hang on, wait a minute, just think about this a moment. What he saw and what he heard bothered him and here's why. He was focused on God's glory, not his own. He was focused on God's honor. And so when he thought about the honor of the living God, that's why he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should reproach, that he should defy, that he should shame the armies of the living God? Basically saying this, we're acting like there's not even a God around here. We're acting like we're not even the people of God. And Eliab says, I know the wickedness of your heart. I know your naughtiness. I know that you're here just to see the battle. I know that you're just in the spirit of adventure. I know this. I mean, he really falsely accused David. But, and so David said, what have I done now? What, what is this what I've done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And when I looked that up, I was reminded that it literally means this. Is there not a word? Can I not say anything right here? Do you see what he's saying? Is there not a cause? Listen, the, the idea there is he's saying, there is a cause that is worthy of somebody standing up, doing something, somebody standing up and saying something. There's a reason. This is a legitimate time for us not to be silent. Is there not a cause? Oh, yes. There is a cause to stand for truth and right. There is a reason in this ungodly season. And so may God help us to have that spirit of David rather than the spirit of Eliab that might even hear say to somebody, uh, hey, you know, why don't you just settle down about this? Uh, we don't need to be, we don't need to get so vocal about those things. Do you want to end up in the news? Well, that's not my goal. 
right? Uh, man, do you, why don't you just settle down about these things that somebody might say to you? Why, why are you so, why are you so, um, so vocal about truth and right? Well, there's a cause to be vocal about truth and right. And it's not our own cause. If we make it about our own cause, then that's wrong. If it's about our glory or what we could get out of it, that's totally wrong. But, but listen, church, if tonight we could do this, if we would say, you know, for the honor of God, I'm going to make this decision or that decision. For the honor of God, I'm going to speak up and not be silent, even though it's uncomfortable in the break room. It's one thing to say amen. It's one thing to talk out about it right here. It's another thing when everybody's gathered around and you're the one that's not laughing at that vulgar joke. But there is a cause to say, listen, I don't think we ought to talk like that. Right. I, we shouldn't talk like that. And there is a cause to, to, to take a stand and to, and, and to stand for what is right and what is godly and what is wholesome and, and what is biblical. And, 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 and there is still a cause today. You know, uh, it's ironic to me. I saw this even at the airport, how that in the name of what uh, Robert Bork called many years ago in his book, you know, slouching towards Gomorrah, radical individualism, which basically means this, I'm going to do my thing. That spirit has spread through America, hasn't it? And, and everybody's exerting themselves and trying, listen, hang on just a minute, trying to be unique trying to be unique. And, and they, I mean, they go to way out their ends to be unique. There's some unique ones out there. I saw a bunch of them in Seattle. I saw this one young lady. I mean, she's getting on the plane and her hair was in a towel. Like she just got out of the shower and came to the... I guess she was running late. I, guess, I shouldn't be so judgmental, I guess. Maybe she was running late for a plane. But, I mean, you say, well, what do you know about that? Nothing at all, obviously. But I thought, and that's, that's not any ungodly. I'm not saying that. But, I mean, I would think, I don't think I'd probably go out there looking like that. But, you know, then you see, you see, uh, you know, these young people, I mean, it, and, and it, I mean, it looked like that she'd got caught in the engine of the plane. <laughs> By the way, her jeans were just sh shredded. But then I saw an older man like in his 70s with shredded jeans. <laughs> I mean, maybe he just had them a long time. <laughs> he might have a legitimate, man, he probably didn't buy on that one. I don't know, but... But okay, I'm not trying to be unkind, but here's what I'm trying to say. In, in the effort to look so unique with all kinds of weirdness, and you fill in the blank that's there. You know, I, I got out to get gas at the, at the gas pump there in Oregon, and, and um, this young man met me, and he said, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm getting gas. <laughs> and man, I, it took me back because actually you're supposed to stay in your car in Oregon and somebody else fills it up for you. I thought, man, I haven't done that, seen that since a kid. <laughs> he thought it was weird that I was getting out and wanting to pump my own gas. 
So anyways, we struck up quite a conversation. I said, well, where I come from, that's not how we do it. But, you know, I mean, he had big old plugs in his ears. I mean, humongous deals. And um, I mean, really, it was a good conversation and, and invited the young man to church and everything. But, and I hope I'm not coming across any wise critical, but what, what I'm saying is everybody's doing so many very bizarre and unique things out there, so much so that everybody looks the same. Everybody looks the same. They're doing that to get attention. And in many ways, it really pulls on your heartstrings when you think about it. What they're really saying is, somebody please love me. Somebody please like me. Somebody please care about me. That's a lot of what it's really saying. When you look beneath the facade of all that, that's what it's really saying. But you know who got attention? Angie and I were sitting there eating, and these three young ladies dressed in very modest dresses, like down here, free-flowing, like what the young ladies had up here on Sunday night. You know who got the attention in the airport? Those three young ladies. I watch people. You ever watch people watch people? (laughs) Don't think me weird, but I was watching people watching them. And you know, it wasn't like they were looking at them like... I saw nobody saying, I saw everybody kind of look at him like, hmm. If I read them right, every one of them were saying, wow. Wow. It was almost like I heard their thoughts. That's good. Did I hear him right? Did you hear him say that, Angie? In there, Huh? It's you. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, that's the other thing I heard him say. What she heard him say in their mind. <laughs> Every one of them were saying, that's really unique. That's really different. So here it is in this radical individualistic society where everybody's trying to be so unique. And here's three young ladies that have really were where America was a few generations ago. And now they're the unique ones that actually, if I heard their thoughts right, they were being admired and saying, I wish I could be like that. How how do you get there? You got to start in the right place. Because if your goal is to be accepted by an ungodly society, then you make decisions that reflect that goal. But if your goal is in everything I do, in every way I live, everything I say, I want it to be to God's honor. And you start with that as your starting place, then you're at a whole different situation in the thoughts and the decisions and the words that you're saying. In fact, you're sounding a lot more like David than you are like either Eliab or like the other children of Israel who are not doing or saying a thing about it. Is this making sense to you? Start with the fact of a living God and let that make your decisions for you. 
and say, in everything I do, I'm, I'm not just off on dress tonight, but that's a, real good, that's a real good point of application here as we begin the summer. For men and women alike, that modesty still matters to God. And, and it ought to be, I'm going to dress in a way that honors God. Because you're either going to dress in a way that honors God or you're going to dress in a way that's trying to find acceptance and get attention. And you may be getting attention, but it may not be the right kind of attention. Are you, hang on. Well, since we're here, let me just say it this way. And this is going to sound maybe a little bit, yeah, it's going to sound, I don't know how it's going to sound. I'm just going to say it. You're either going to dress to be holy or you're going to dress to be hot. And God wants you to be holy in all manner of conversations. See, does that make sense? So that applies to dress. And is there not a call? Should we not say anything about that? Do you see how this plays in? Oh, no, you need to be quiet about that. That's me. That's my personal life. Well, doesn't your personal life have to do with personal holiness? When, when God, I just read it in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he says um, that we're to be holy in all manner of conversation. That applies to every single area, whether it's dress. I just hit on that because it was so, so obvious in the, uh, what God allowed me to experience here this weekend on the way back. It was so, so clear. But we could take that same principle and we could say, should we not say what kind of church Jesus ought to have in this day and time, in this era where we ought to be committed to biblical doctrine and, uh, and to be committed to living lives that are separated, not because we're in any wise better than anybody else, because we're not. In fact, we're just like what Miss Brittany sang about. We're all sinners that needed a Savior and a Savior like He is. In fact, that's the kind of Savior that we desperately needed. And we need to be the type of church that reflects His holiness rather than reflecting worldliness. So if we start with the honor of God, I'm telling you, that really does settle a lot of issues. Whether it's dress, music, and I realize I'm hitting all the hot, hot buttons right there, or whether it's our view of sexuality or our view of gender or our view of, of, of church life or our view of parenting or our view of marriage or our view of our work ethic and all these things, our view of, of uh, substances, our view of tobacco, our view of cussing, our view of alcohol. I mean, really, if you start with God's honor... That puts you on the right road. And there is a cause to stand for truth and right. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you for your word, the contrast that is here. And given the state of our nation, how can we be silent? We want to say things the right way at the right time, with the right heart. But Lord, um, when a nation is in need of revival like we are, certainly that revival would need to begin in the house of God. And I just pray that you'd help, Lord. It would be a tragedy if some would hear and see the way we live our lives and conclude that there must not be a living God because he's making no difference. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to live for your honor, to be concerned about the ways in which righteousness is being disdained and your name is being defied. And there's a reproach. God, I, I realize we can't deal with all the national issues, and that's not my desire here tonight even, Lord. And as I'm praying and talking to you about it, I know 
I know that the dear folks here concur and understand that, but there is something that we individually and as families and as a church family can do to make sure that we have your fo our focus on your honor rather than our own acceptance, our own comfort or pleasure or desires. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to live for your honor, not our own. In Jesus' name.